How to win a bar fight and practice diplomacy while negotiating a bounty on your head. From Civil Wars, Whistleblower Tactics, Schematic Drafting, and the Finer Points of Sith Adoption, The Essential How-To Guide for the Engineering Jedi, by Jack Daw read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of George Lucas. Content warnings available in description. Chapter 5 I Chase It in Search of Salvation If he had thought that life couldn't have gotten any weirder after his commander had up and melted a man in clear view of all those around like a scene straight out of a high-budget horror hollow, Maximilian Veers had been dead, dead wrong. Hilariously wrong, in fact because for all that he had expected some measure of an incredibly violent response from Lord Vader in retaliation for someone maiming his favorite protege for life, what he hadn't expected was the sheer insanity that would follow. It had become more than clear that as far as the majority of the lady's crew was concerned, Luke Lars was second in command to Lord Vader, period, end of story, have a pleasant night. The absolutely zealous devotion his men had shown in guarding Lars had been one thing, but the entire bloody festival, thrown in his honor not even two weeks after the attack, was a whole other thing entirely. He'd been there, out of uniform, like so many of the other officers, and he'd seen how the droves of people had lifted Lars up above them and then reached out with quiet reverence for just a touch, just the briefest moment of his attention. Altogether, the scene had smacked of worship and eerily religious undertones, and he was embarrassed to say that it had taken him more than a minute or two to draw parallels to the infamous worship of his commander that he knew to happen in the lower ranks. Soldiers made religions. It was practically a law of war. When you put a whole bunch of people from all over the galaxy together in a situation that can turn from lethal boredom to just plain old lethal in less than a second, they tended to start developing ways to cope and with the melting pot of cultures and religions in a high-stress environment, it was nearly guaranteed that superstitions and folk tales would start to sprout up like mad, or at least that's what he had gathered from what Guyana had told him the numerous times she'd attempted to apply her field of expertise to his own, with various degrees of success. Usually it was just that, and stayed just that, though, folk tales and superstitions. But as with all things— He'd quickly found out that when working under Lord Vader it was a different story entirely. It was one of those things that you just knew working aboard the Lady after a certain time and seeing certain things, especially when working in close proximity to the troopers. A prayer from a soldier in a filthy corner of a tent base that invoked an epithet that brought to mind a nightmarish breathing pattern, candles colored black with soot and oil that burned in the forgotten corners of the Lady where no one but the droids and engineers dared tread. No one but them and the candle lighters who left a familiar mask roughly etched into the wax of the candle, the way that more than one crewmate and trooper could be seen sometimes thumbing a shard of metal that he suspected came from a very specific gate indeed. It was never overtly talked about or paraded around for everyone to see, for anyone to see, but it was there as sure as a shadow to life on the lady. And if he was frank, he could understand it too, Whatever Lord Vader was, he clearly wasn't human, not entirely, no matter how much the official press reports may emphasize otherwise. Being stronger and more durable than any other sentient was one thing. Being able to strangle people from across the room, or even the fleet, was another thing that, while certainly enough to make him have an existential crisis on the nature of reality the first time the full implications had sunk in of such an act, was still within the bounds of could be a human, 
as the Empire advertised, albeit a human whose abilities bore a strong resemblance to some of the old stories that still circulated about the commanders of the Republic's armies. None of that explained what the fuck his commanding officer had done to the traitors, how he ran faster than some speeders were capable of going, and how he had so far survived every single situation in his eighteen years of being known to the wider public that had no possibility of survival. So yes, Veers could understand the impulse of his troopers to go beyond the usual superstitions and old wives' tales. He could understand, and so he turned a blind eye whenever a number of them snuck off to the deeper parts of the lady or a more private corner of whatever camp they were in during a campaign. It wasn't hard either to guess what they were going to do when they went either. The usual nonsense and fuckery often had them in a shifty and giggly mood, but whenever they went for this specific reason, their demeanors would always, without fail, be strange and serious. Solemn eyes and murmured sentences as they guided each other along or walked alone. Now, though, in the last couple of weeks, odd things had started happening that smacked of the candle lighters, but that had a different touch to them. Something lighter and kinder, less afraid. The discovery of a small white candle along a pitch-black one and the burned-out remains of what must have been a ritual on his way to the barracks to check on his men was what cinched it. He didn't know exactly when, but he did know for certain now that the lady was the domain of not one, but two figures of worship, Lord Vader and Luke Lars, the two governing forces of the lady, and one didn't even know it. Or rather, he was fairly certain the lad didn't know it. For all that Luke Lars could have effectively given both him and the entire upper brass their marching orders, and no one but Lord Vader would dare to refute him, the lad was still as decorous and polite with them as he ever had been, saluting them when appropriate, addressing them with sir, and following orders when given them, and deeming them mostly convenient. It was as respectful, obedient, and well-mannered as he'd come to expect from the lad, which, granted, wasn't what one would call military proper, but still a clear deference of authority. Frankly, it put Veers on edge and made his skin crawl these days. Or at first it had been a welcome relief to see that the lad was still entirely himself and hadn't taken advantage of his elevated status to assure his own potential fears of the upper brass now that Oswald and his cronies had so thoroughly driven a rift between them and the rest of the crew. After that, though, it had begun to chafe. There had always been both an informal and formal hierarchy aboard the lady. One expressed in ranks, and the other in how much you could get away with and not get Lord Vader breathing down your neck. Usually they matched up rather nicely, with only a few exceptions here and there that were easily resolved by not being an asshole to the lower ranks. Not this time, though. And now the cracks were starting to show themselves in the system. Lars was, effectively, not even classed as a combatant aboard the lady, which ranked him lower than even a lieutenant when it came to how much weight his word ought to carry. If his rate had been accurate to his standing, Lars would land solidly middle of the pack amongst the officers in a few years once he had more experience under his belt. In practice, if Lars told Piet that he wanted the lady in a system three sectors over, only Lord Vader or the bloody Emperor himself would be able to comfortably negate that order. If Lars put his foot down and didn't let Piet persuade him otherwise, that is. He'd also realized something a handful of days ago when he'd heard Lord Vader announce that Lars would be accompanying him for the inspection, where the lady went, Death Squadron followed, which effectively put Lars at a rank above the one that Piet had managed to wrangle off of Ozel's malformed corpse. And maybe he was just set in his ways, but it really didn't sit well with Veers that whenever he met with the kid, Lars was still acting as if he were a good couple of rungs lower on the social ladder than Veers, instead of playing second string to Lord Vader of all people. Nor did it sit well with the other officers, as he'd noticed. 
He supposed there was something to be said about them all being too used to the simple and clear-cut ranks of the military, but damn it, the military wasn't supposed to be about politics. Hierarchies needed to be clear and well-defined, and while the normal double hierarchy was fine, Lars was throwing a rather larger spanner in the works here by effectively outranking them all while still holding a position that was average in its official authority at best. They were all getting antsy under this new arrangement, and that had only been reinforced with Lars accompanying Lord Vader for the inspection, with all of them fielding more than one private message from the rest of the fleet's officers on how in the name of the thrice-damned force they were meant to treat Lars, since his rank obviously didn't match his position at Lord Vader's side, a meeting had been held in order to coordinate their responses. Rank after rank had been suggested and dismissed, when none of them quite seemed to encapsulate the magnitude of just how much Lars was not to be trifled with. Rank after rank, until they'd all quietly agreed that the best analogy for the appropriate rank would be to treat him as a previously non-existing one, that of an imperial prince. Admittedly, none of them had been too keen on the idea when Captain Alter had first floated the suggestion, with some officers looking like they could already feel their throats closing up under an invisible fist, if it ever came to light that this was the analogy they'd used and Lord Vader disagreed with their assessment. But then Piat had quietly pointed out that if an order given could only be comfortably overturned by either Lord Vader or the Emperor himself, then even the rank of Grand Moff wasn't quite accurate to compare to. None of them were eager to follow the orders given by Tarkin over those of Lars in any case, so it was either that or commit treason by suggesting Tarkin wasn't worth his rank. That had been the end of that argument, with the only unfortunate side effects being that they now all had a secret that may or may not end badly if Lord Vader ever found out about it, and he would, he always did, and that once they all saw it, they couldn't unsee it. The crewmates, the troopers, the lower-ranking officers, and even themselves— the evidence for Lars being the closest any of them had ever seen to an imperial prince was scattered everywhere, and now that they were looking, they almost couldn't miss it unless they tried. It was in the behavior, the gifts, the worship, the deference. It was everywhere, and that, more than anything, cemented it for him. Luke Lars was the uncrowned prince of the lady, and Veers, for one, didn't know what the fuck to do with that information. What he did know was that it was because of this that he'd now ended up in this situation, said inspection being the completion of the annual fleet inspection, and their arrival on Quad, which, much to his excitement and horror, would mark the start of the gathering, and his own son's arrival on the Lady. Ever since this morning, the whole Lady had been in a flurry of activity when the ship's intercoms had announced that they would soon be exiting out of the final jump into the Quad system and to prepare for docking procedures. Docking at a space station like the ring of shipyards spinning in orbit around Quad was difficult enough with a normal-sized cargo ship. The landing procedure required more finesse and precision than what's usually required of a simple landing dirt side, with both the gravity of the planet below and the artificial gravity from the ring itself having to be taken into account. Adjust for both the spinning and relative size of the ring, and things were already starting to complicate drastically. Now make that ship nineteen clicks long. Add two and two together, and you came out with a docking procedure that had already lasted the entire morning and well into the afternoon, with crews both on the Lady and the Ring working in tandem to maneuver the Lady into a suitable position for the docking clamps to latch onto her, assisted by a small fleet of synchronized valet vessels that were slowly pushing and pulling the Star Dreadnought into the range of the tractor beam array that would take them through the final leg of the docking procedure. And with the lady slowly drifting closer and closer in her orbit of the ring while the tractor began to fire up to catch her as she made her approach, after having started the docking procedure at 900 hours sharp, 
they were finally ready to finish it up more than six hours later, nearly seven, which is why he now found himself in his office, suiting up in a modified pseudo-armor as he prepared himself to act as an added layer of security for the ship alongside his men once she fully docked herself to the ring. Docked as she would be, there would be an extraordinary influx of people constantly coming and going about the ship, and after the sabotage incident from two months ago, none of them were taking any chances, especially not Lord Vader. Checking the final armor plates on his gauntlets to see if they were properly attached, he deemed them fit and picked up his helmet. With some careful maneuvering, he fitted it over his head and pressed it down until it was snugly fitted around his head, and he heard the distinctive hiss of the hermetic air seals activating, alongside the click of the connector cords along the spine slotting in place, starting the feed of power to the hut, which promptly lit up. As it ran through its brief startup sequence, Veer shifted slightly along with the rest of the suit as the discomfort of the stiff exoskeleton in the underarmor melted away once the calibrations finished a few seconds later, stiff bands of durasteel alloy and plastisteel mesh pressed along the contours of his body releasing abruptly into a far more forgiving shape, mentally blessing Lars for finding a way to make that whole song and dance necessary only once on the initial startup sequence, he shifted around to adjust the armor minutely. It was damn nice armor, he'd grant the lad that, and despite the fact that he could no longer feel the exoskeleton, he could definitely feel its work as he found it easier to keep a straight posture, as well as the fact that his knees no longer protested when he got up. He felt stronger and lighter in a manner that he didn't think he'd quite get used to for a long time to come. He sighed as he rolled his shoulders, the soft clicking of the plates coming in through the speakers as they locked together and released with the motion. No matter how many times he put on the suit, he still didn't think he'd ever quite get used to the way it differed from putting on his previous body armor or even a former stormtrooper suit. For one thing, it was actually comfortable. For another, it protected more than just his upper torso and the back of his head, and recalling just how cumbersome the previous battle armor reserved for officers was, he sent another quick blessing of thanks to whatever force out there had sent Lars their way with a list of complaints about the previous armor and a mission. With his tread markedly heavier and yet somehow more fluid, he walked over to the door of his office, pausing only momentarily to check in the mirror he had in the small entrance whether everything about the suit was in order, made necessary by the fact that they were going to be amongst civilians in large numbers for the first time in the armor's history. Lars had finally distributed versions of the armor visually distinct to the various ranks of officers, a visual distinction that may not be necessary amongst the troopers themselves, thanks to the identifying HUDs and perhaps even a liability on the battlefield but something highly useful when having to coordinate in a more populated and civilian area. And to be fair, he personally was of the conviction that Lars had knocked it out of the park with the visual identifiers. Horizontal stripes of blue on the arm guards of the gauntlets marked out the rank of the lower-ranked officers, with the number of them denominating their exact rank. And for clarity, Lars had added a similar vertical stripe design along the pauldrons and helmet. When asked about the color, the lad had merely shrugged and smiled, saying that he'd put the question forward with Vader and, after a few minutes, had gotten the answer to use blue. Which was fine in the lower ranks, but one could only add so many stripes before it started looking ridiculous, so the executive decision had been to reserve blue for non-commissioned officers, gold for commissioned officers, and finally for flag officers like himself, Lars had come up with something rather inspired. Which was why he was now adjusting solid dove gray armor plating in the mirror. The white stripes on his pauldrons, gauntlets, and helmet mocking him out as the general of the 501st. Clicking the last wayward plate into its locked-in position, he stepped out of his office and into the controlled, chaotic frenzy of white and dark armor outside. Immediately the hut sprang to life, 
and the names of every trooper around him flitted along with their hurried forms as everyone raced to get the final preparations done. Squads jogged along to their designated position, officers communicated with harried gestures as they tried to direct everyone to their appropriate place in the upcoming docking procedure, and marching along through the crowded corridors of the barracks, he made his way to the railcar station. He was expected in the main docking area they would be using this time, which thankfully was only a short ride over, and before he knew it, he was marching through the crowds of the rail station on the starboard end of the ship. Crewmates of every corps were rushing along as the great ship began the final stretch of her journey back towards the place where she'd originally been constructed. He himself walked along with long strides, scanning the people around him for the commander he'd left in charge while he went to get the last matters sorted. Now, with the HUD to aid him, he quickly found the commander in question and took the role of leading command back, the comm system in the helmet allowing him to give out orders to all the 501st, no matter where they were. Thousands of troopers scattered over the hundreds of square clicks of the various levels of the lady, and with scant minutes to go until it was do or die, he left them with his last couple of orders and the instructions they needed to hold fast and hold firm. With all his troops in place, it wasn't a moment too soon as the alarms that signaled that the final stage of the docking procedure had begun blared to life, and bright flashing lights filled the cavernous space with dancing shadows. Besides the massive docking ring that would roll aside to allow access to the shipyards beyond, the titanic machinery that would lock around and through the docking clamps whirring to life out of its year-long slumber with a bellowing screech. Wincing as the noise level surpassed comfort, he sighed in relief when the audio dampening of the suit kicked in the moment it reached past a certain decibel level. Engineers threw themselves into the work of ensuring that the procedure on a scale of titans would proceed just as planned to the millimeters. Coming through and receiving updates of scanner data and the location of the clamps on a near constant basis. Over the wailing of the alarms, the ship's intercom system blared to life as Piet's voice calmly began to count down the distance until they were in tractor beam range and the procedure could enter its last stage. A deep hum sounded through the air as the lady finally got caught in the beams, and the ground under his feet shook as if caught in an earthquake, the alarm shifting to a marginally quieter volume that was still loud nonetheless. Now firmly within the grasp of the Quat shipyard's tractor beam array, the various engineers rushing around seemed to calm down as they could start to focus on the minute details of the maneuvering, with most of them solidly glued to their comm units as they received a relayed data and orders. Through several more minutes that felt like an eternity, intense adjustments and severe communications with the shipyard's team dominated the docking area as both worked together to fine-tune the ladies' descent into the arms of the docking station to perfection. The rumbling underneath their feet reached a zenith right as the humming did. With a great cacophony of sound and screeching metal, everyone in the docking area felt it as the lady crashed into something that resounded out from where the docking clamps would lock into place. They'd landed. With the groaning and creaking of machinery that felt and sounded like a behemoth creature coming alive, the machinery next to the docking ring ground back into action as it began locking itself around the docking clamps. The alarm blared for another tense few minutes as the clamps fully locked into place under the hissing of pneumatics and the whirring of engines. But it fell silent at last, right alongside the machinery, as the final two chimes of the alarm signified the end of the docking procedure. With the docking area abruptly silent now that the machinery and alarm had quieted down, it was as if the whole of the bay held its collective breath for a moment. Then the moment broke, and an almighty cheer went up that signified the success of another docking maneuver. Veers heaved out a relieved sigh as the cheer went up. Honestly, with how difficult the maneuver was, it was a blessing that they didn't have to dock to a port like this more often than once a year. He marginally relaxed his stance as he surveyed the hangar, 
engineers and crewmates cheering and clapping each other on the back for a job well done. Their end of the job was finished, after all. Sure, the docking portal would still need to extend and connect with the docking ring of the ship before anyone could leave the ship, but that was a task that fell to the shipyard. For them, this was as far as they needed to go, which meant that those meant to be first off the ship would soon be joining them. Turning his comm back on, he quickly began to issue the orders necessary to bring the docking area into some semblance of order and to start implementing the preparations for the checkpoints on every access point to the lady. More than one of them may seem a little redundant, such as the docking bays and trash chute, but he'd learned through experience never to underestimate the determined enemy when it came to security. With the immense bounties on the head of their new, uncrowned prince, he wasn't going to be taking any kind of chances. 650 million collective credits, with the highest individual bounty at the moment being from an anonymous client who offered 83 million credits for Lars's capture, dead or alive and have been driving up the price single-handedly for a while now, according to the latest update from the ISB. That kind of money was enough to drive any number of people to do both stupid and inspired things in order to get it. And now that they were docked to a planet in an event that was public knowledge to anyone who bothered to look, Lars was more vulnerable than ever, even with the most elite fleet in the Empire dedicated to his protection. It would have been funny just how much trouble just one young man could cause— if it weren't for the fact that said young man was easily in the top ten of the most powerful people in the galaxy, and his last endangerment still haunted Veers' dreams on some nights. So extra vigilant security it was, with every trooper drilled on the importance of not slacking on the job for the month that they were here unless they wanted a repeat of the massacre, potentially with them as targets if they were the reason for any attempts being made on Lars's life. Hopefully none of that would be necessary. Hopefully this would just be a gathering like any other, with a reunion with his son waiting for him and time spent with his men and friends in the upcoming games and events while they waited for the month-long maintenance check to be done, hopefully. With Lars's track record, though, unlikely. He heaved out a heavy sigh as he switched off his comm, all orders given and now just listening on his exos carrying out his orders, resigning himself to the potential of their collective world getting shaken up and sideways yet again by something he doubted any of them would be able to foresee— for now all he could do was his damnedest at trying not to be the next on the chopping block for endangering Lars, and hope that none of his men were either, which meant organizing the two men scattered around the docking area into the two coherent companies that would be guarding the main docking point of the lady, as well as acting as escorts for the small party of flag officers that would first be leaving the ship alongside the main event, Lord Vader and Luke Lars, of which Veers, ironically enough, could count himself a part of. Thankfully, if there was one thing Lord Vader didn't tend to begrudge those working under him, it was wearing whichever uniform they pleased when they felt it necessary, so he wouldn't have to rush back to his office to get changed into his regular uniform again. Add to that, that the display of his pseudo-armor alongside that of the 68th and 254th companies, and hopefully it might even be preferable for him to wear it in the eyes of his lordship, again, hopefully. It was something he found himself relying a lot on lately. Shaking himself out of his reverie, he quickly turned his minds to the matter at hand. Activating his comm again, he selected his two XOs and opened up the comm line. Captain Artis, Captain Zaltor, assemble your companies in formation, he ordered as he surveyed the milling crowds eagerly awaiting when the docking ring would signal a connection and open up to allow them all through. The acknowledgement of both captains came through, and just like that, the companies fell into their formations, flanking the docking ring on both sides just as planned. Still giving your men last-minute orders they should have gotten a week ago? A familiar voice asked mildly from behind him, and huffing out a laugh, he turns to see a blank-faced Piet, 
who nonetheless had a slight smile twitching at the corner of his mouth. And as I've told you before, he shot back with a drawl, setting his hands on his hips, they did, and they're still at their best when they get them stamped in again ten minutes before we hit the ground. He grinned widely when Piet merely rolled his eyes as he stepped forward to see the companies pull into formation with a smoothness that definitely couldn't be achieved by a mere ten minutes of warning. His friend hummed out a low sound as he observed the troopers and eventually blew out of breath. Well, good luck to you, Max, he muttered, giving the ears a tired smile. I did my part. Think you can handle yours? Just like this? he asked. Absolutely. Throw our resident head engineer into the mix and everyone who's after him? He shrugged, earning a sympathetic grimace from Piet. Only time will tell. Normally we just have the damn rebels to worry about causing us trouble during the gathering, and even they have to be pretty desperate to mount anything substantial. Now, though... He sighed, considering just how many people are after one of their own in particular. Piet, meanwhile, seemed to understand his plight exactly as he pursed his lips and nodded tensely. It is a rather different circumstance, he admitted quietly. I don't think I've ever seen this many factions this determines to get one person no matter the cost, quite literally in this case, too. And all that for someone who really was just a kid still. An older kid who may legally be an adult, but eighteen years old was still just a teenager as far as he was concerned. Force he felt old when he thought of that, but... Do you think it weighs on the lad? He muttered before he could think the better of it. Knowing that so many people are out to get you. Piet made a thoughtful noise as he closed his eyes, a pensive expression overtaking his face. I'm not sure, he admitted softly, and Veers' curiosity was piqued at that. I'm not sure how much you understand of the outer rim, Max, Piet continued in that same soft tone. But Engineer Lars grew up in an especially hostile part of it. Tatooine may be formally outside of hot space, but... From what I could find out about it, it's essentially still under their occupation. When something like the Huts presses down on a people for long enough, some break under the pressure, but others... He blew out a small breath as Veers watched something steely form in his expression. Others harden like diamonds. Well, if that wasn't interesting... And do you think that the lad belongs in the latter category? He asked idly despite a growing pit opening up in the bottom of his stomach as he saw where this could be heading. I think, Piet emphasized slowly, that whichever Engineer Lars is, he will somehow manage to be entirely unexpected in the manner in which he goes about either. Considering the lad's track record so far, Veers had a sneaking suspicion that Piet was more right in his assessment than either of them could expect. Once someone made the voluntary decision to subject themselves to the full brunt of Lord Vader's attention, and not only managed to survive in that position but thrive in it, one could be reasonably certain that said person had an odd response to stress factors, to say the least. You may just be right, Thermos, he muttered as he looked out over where the two companies were finalizing their formations. Only time will tell, I suppose. Piet hummed low in his throat as he tilted his head towards Veers in acknowledgment. That it will, he responded just as quietly. They fell into a silence that wasn't quite as easy as it could have been, but anything else that might be said on the matter fell through the moment Piet's calm started chiming with the arrival of a new message. A quick glance at the screen had Piet frowning before quickly beginning to straighten out his uniform in various minor ways. It seems Captain Alter is done with her preparations, he explained under his breath as he straightened out his cap. She and the rest of the first ashore party are on their way down. 
and she estimates that both Lord Vader and Engineer Lars won't be long behind. Veers nodded his gratitude for Piat's early warning. If the last of the Ashore party was starting to assemble, then it indeed wouldn't be long before everyone was ready to depart, and his security strategies would be put to the test, which, considering the potential penalties for failure in this aspect, he found he really didn't want to keep his mind on. And how is the good captain holding up in her new rank? He asked idly, trying to banish flashes of dark memories steeped in viscera and screams back into the misty gray expanses of non-thought of his mind. Thankfully, Piet seemed to understand his desire not to focus on the specter of potential failure looming closer, and obliged him with a sympathetic smile that nonetheless had something hard around the eyes. It seems to agree with her, Piet answered, turning to look back out over the docking area. So far she has performed her duties with efficiency and precision, and despite some minor hiccups, the crew seems to have settled in well under her command. Quite frankly, with the performance she's been giving, I believe she was ready for a more authoritative role than that of lieutenant quite some time ago, but, well, he trailed off uneasily, and Veers immediately caught his drift. She's a woman, and hails from a planet not considered to be ideal, he finished tiredly, already seeing where this was heading. Well, yes, Piet confirmed with a wince, apparently just as discomforted by the usual promotion protocol practiced by the wider military as Veers was. It seemed most of her previous superiors were less than impressed and declined to give her a promotion in rank multiple times in the past. He wrinkled his nose, and Veers could only imagine that he was seeing whatever horribly unprofessional attitudes had been displayed in Captain Altair's personnel file. I am happy to report that they were entirely full of it, he finished dryly, and Veers promptly had to stifle down a laugh. Always good to know when your predecessors may have been assholes, he agreed with a grin that Piet wouldn't be able to see, but seemed to hear nonetheless. Speaking of predecessors, how's being in charge without an active roadblock and some apparently competent help been? Admittedly, Piet sighed and gained an odd look in his eyes more than a little out of place on his usually stoic countenance. Like coming home, just larger. He tilted his head in consideration before making an amendment. And better funded, too, I suppose. Veer snorted, but conceded the point. No matter how much larger, better equipped, and elite Death Squadron was, he didn't doubt that his friend, comparing it to his experiences with the Axel and anti-pirate fleet, was accurate to form— and, well, if the claims made by the sector boasting about how it was the safest sector in the Outer Rim thanks to the efforts of its anti-pirate fleet, then he didn't doubt the future for Death Squadron was looking interesting with Piet formally, finally, at the helm. Once they got the fleet through its annual maintenance, that is. Something which, now that they were docked, was set to kick off very soon. As if summoned, his HUD quickly flashed a notification that someone was asking for him on the comm. He answered it, and immediately Sergeant Octane's voice filtered through. Sir, there's a rail car coming into the station right now, arriving for the central command tower, and it's carrying the navy section of the ashore party. The trooper informed him, and a file popped up under the note of displaying the people apparently in the car. We've also received word from the central command transport station that the private elevator is coming down, sir, and we've raided an A2 car at the station in preparation. Well then, it looked like things were starting to coalesce, and the kickoff of the gathering wouldn't be long now. Julie noted, trooper he replied as he dismissed the note of file attachment. Return to your duties. Yes, sir. And with that, the calm line fell silent again and left Veers to turn to Piet, who had begun to eye him. It's beginning, then, he asked, 
and Veers didn't even need to ask if Piatz had already started to cotton on to what was happening. A rail car with your people has arrived, and the elevator, presumably holding our two lords, is about to arrive at the central command station, he whispered instead, skipping straight to the relevant info. I'd say we're minutes away from officially starting the gathering. It certainly seems like it, Piet agreed quietly, turning towards the entrance of the docking area, and sure enough, only a few minutes later, a familiar group of officers walked out into the area, headed by a familiar face that was framed by an ever-present headscarf. Captain Tamina Alter had become far more ubiquitous on the lady in the last few weeks ever since her impromptu promotion into the role of captain of the ship after Piet had left the office empty. Now the two of them would be able to see how they fared in the more political aspects of their roles. Approaching the both of them, she saluted with a curt greeting. Admiral, General, Sirs. Saluting back, Veers offered her a polite nod. Captain, he returned. Ready for your grand debut in your new capacity to the wider fleet? He asked with a small smile, remembering just in time that she wouldn't be able to see it and relaxing his posture a tad in sync with his greeting. She blew out a breath that just barely shook at the edges, and yep, there were the first-time jitters fears had come to expect. "'Please, sir,' she muttered. "'Don't remind me. The cross-course in interfleet etiquette from the Admiral still haunts me.' He barked out a laugh and crossed his arms over his chest. "'Oh, that doesn't bring back memories,' he reminisced. Memories flooding back in of his own times trying to divine the complex web of interactions between officers and the fleet. He grinned at the young captain who was looking at him with some kind of amusement, and he knew that just one more push would break the ice. "'Don't you worry, Captain,' he told her with a grin, trying to let his body language communicate casual cheer. "'We've all been there and come out the other end, largely unscathed, and with our dignity only slightly cracked. Just follow Firmus's lead and you'll turn out just fine.' He finished with a clap on his friend's shoulder that was just this side of too forceful, and made Piet's knees buckle slightly, bringing a smile to Alter's face while Piet glared at him. And before his friends could get to hissing out half-whispered beratements for the casual manner in which he was acting in front of a direct subordinate, Alter put her right hand over her heart and dipped her head with a smile and greeting. "'I think Tamina will do just fine in informal situations, sir,' she said with a warm smile. Copying her gesture in turn, Veers smiled back while making it a point not to hurry through the dip of his head. He was gaining newfound respect for his men every day as he wondered how they managed to convey emotions through their helmets so effortlessly. Then I think it's only appropriate to ask you to call me Max when we don't have to be on our best behavior, Captain, he offered in turn, along with a regretful reminder that they were about to make for sure and more casual interactions would have to wait, something which Captain Alter seems to understand without further prompting. Julie noted, sir, she agreed with a small smile. She then turned her attention towards Piet, who was still glaring holes into the side of Veers's helmet that boasted a whopping X-7 armor rating, but if it weren't for the fact that Alter was now neatly distracting him, he had the suspicion he might have felt the plasticeel alloy start smoking. The ashore party is ready for departure, Admiral, she said as she folded her hands behind her back into a relaxed parade rest stance. Piet shot one last glare toward Veers, but shifted back to his usual professionalism merely a moment later, placid mask of calm control firmly back in place on his expression. Excellent work, Captain, he praised mildly and we received word earlier that the lords seemed to be on their way. So it seems prudent to— Piet cut off in the middle of his sentence, Alter freezing right alongside him, and just a few moments later Veers felt it too. It wasn't as pronounced in the armor, but a distinctive chill still crept up the back of his spine and neck nonetheless, and the sudden silence in the hangar only confirmed it. In the silence of the docking area, 
The audio sensors of the armor began to pick up on a rhythmic thumping that quickly sharpened into a heavy durasteel tread, and moments later a second, softer tread joined them. The Lords of the Lady had arrived. Gliding into the docking area like a shadow flanked by a shining light, Lord Vader and Lars looked more like a matched set than ever before. Matching their pace and with heads held high, they were every bit the picture of the royalty that one was, and one was reaching ever closer to attaining. And once more clothed in his dress uniform, Lars did cut a striking figure next to his lordship. In the black dress uniform of the engineers that revealed a blue hue only when the light struck just right, embellished with minor silver additions and a capelet that signified his status, Lars wore a severe expression that oddly seemed both out of place and fitting on the son of the lady. There was an air of something subtle yet powerful around the young, uncrowned prince, and for a brief moment Veers wondered if any of them really were as far off in their assessment of Lars as they thought they might have been. Force he hoped that his son knew what he was getting into. Swallowing nervously as thoughts of Zev forced themselves back to the forefront of his mind after having been so carefully buried that morning, he couldn't stop himself from adjusting his stance into something a little more stable as worry began to rise again. This was the lad, young man, who would be commanding his son soon enough. And while Piet seemed confident that Zev was firmly under the protection of Lars and would be as safe as could be aboard the Lady, fact of the matter was that it was Lars that safety depended on. Something that seemed all the more tenuous and fragile now that the reality of how many enemies the lad had gained began to sink in. But it was mercifully a reality he had the power to affect, and concern for the well-being of one young lad thankfully easily doubled for two. He would focus on protecting Lars, and trust that whatever odd pact had apparently been struck between his son and the son would guard Zev from harm in turn. He'd trust that Zev knew what he was doing. He'd promised to. Taking a deep breath, he forced the wave of frantic worry back onto the surface thoughts of his mind and refocused on his task. The two lords walked slowly into the middle of the dead silent docking area, and a quiet conversation in the strange, lilting tones they both seemed to favor filtered in through the audio speakers, which his heart both helpfully informed him was scaled up in volume several times, and also of a language that wasn't known to any of the databanks, as expected. Veers shifted uncomfortably as the conversation whispered and rumbled through the speakers of his helmet, with no one aboard the lady so far having admitted to being able to identify the language. For all that they had over one and a half million people walking around, the rumors about its nature had started flying. Little was known about the language, with so far not a single word being translated, and all that they did know was that Lars had one day started speaking it to Lord Vader, strange and lilting, with an odd cadence to it that seemed almost lyrical. Then in the next couple of days, and to everyone's surprise, Lord Vader had started speaking it back. It had escalated quickly from there, and pretty much everyone had cottoned on to the fact that both lords were using it to discuss private matters in public without any inconvenient ears eavesdropping on the conversation. Conversations that, more often than not, were emotionally charged and quiet, with both parties seeming to address each other on multiple occasions with sounds that resembled their names in neither shape nor form, but held a deep fondness in the tone. Even Lord Vayner's monotonous rumbles had seemed to hold something gentle. After that realization had done the rounds, it had been off to the races, and the rumor mill hadn't stopped spinning since. He doubted this would do anything but add fuel to the fire. Both lords meandered through the area, slowly veering off to the side where both Piet and Veers were still standing side by side, 
with Captain Alter slowly backing up until she was standing just a step behind them, with their all-encompassing presence slowly drifting off to the side and neither Lord showing much interest in the proceedings around them just yet, conversations were starting back up again, and by the time they were standing in front of Veer's Piatan Alter, a din of sound was once more masking their conversation. The strange language still spilled forth from both Lords, but with Lord Vader's mask ever impassive and Lars uncharacteristically stoic in expression, there was still little to be gleaned from the cadence of sounds. Eventually, Lars gave away something of a hint, as he smiled at one of Lord Vader's retorts and, in a move that had given much of the Lady a minor aneurysm the first few times it happened, pressed himself silently into Lord Vader's side for a moment, before both turned their attention towards the three of them. The conversation evidently concluded. How fair the preparations, General? Lord Vader rumbled while conspicuously keeping a hand on Lars's shoulder while the three of them dipped into a bow. Straightening up under the gaze of both lords, Veers quickly shook off any thoughts about the current gossip in case he thought them just a tad too loudly for Lord Vader to either remain oblivious to them or ignore them, or something else along those lines. However, the ability to read minds worked. It fares well, my lord, he answered, feeling just a tad proud that he could say that and be entirely honest about it. The troopers are posted at all entrances, and both the 68th and 254th companies are ready to accompany us once we leave the shipyards and planet. Security is as tight as we can make it, my lord, he asserted, slightly stressing the we in the hopes that Lord Vader would remember that he was working with people who had limited capabilities to protect the lady's son. Well, limited in comparison to the ability to simply ram down a gigantic set of gates, but limited nonetheless. The Dark Lord fell silent for a moment as he tilted his gaze towards where both companies were standing in perfect arrangement, waiting to deploy as soon as the docking ring connected to the port that would have to be extending towards it. Eventually, he nodded curtly and turned a red-lensed gaze back towards Veers. "'A commendable effort, General,' he praised, voice as much of a monotone as ever, but lighter for some reason. He bowed his head briefly. "'Thank you, my lord.' I assume they will be joining us when we depart for the planet to retrieve your son, Lord Vader added on, and Veers' stomach did the approximate impression of having a stone dropped into it right that. They will, my lord, he answered even as his mind began to run through worst-case scenarios entirely against his best efforts and wishes. The fact that Lord Vader, or more accurately Lars, had decided to attend his son's graduation in person alongside him was something he'd never entirely processed before it was already too late to do so, and it was most certainly far too late to process that little tidbit now. The only silver lining on this whole situation was that apparently Zev was already aware of the additional guests that would be showing up and would hopefully know not to do anything too drastic. Forcibly yanking his thoughts back to the present when he saw Lars begin to shift, he dumped all those errant thoughts back into the pit they'd crawled out of. Now was absolutely not the time. Are you sure this isn't a bit excessive? Lars asked quietly as he surveyed the two companies standing at attention, at least for picking up Zev and attending a graduation. Staring at the lad, Veers could only be thankful that Lord Vader was apparently more prepared than he was to remind the lad that he was currently the record holder of the highest bounty posted on any one individual ever. Excessive security was a thing that had ceased to exist the moment the collective number of bounties crossed into the ninefold digits, a notion that Lord Vader seemed to agree with. 
You are aware of the amount of credits set on your head, Luke. Lord Vader reminded the young son quietly, and Veers was thankful for the fact that the casual use of simple names between the two lords no longer tripped him up as badly as it had the first few weeks, or at least not badly enough that a helmet couldn't conceal it. There are those who would do desperate things to harm you with such a powerful lure of wealth, his commander rumbled while squeezing the lad's shoulder with a gentleness Veers hadn't known him to be capable of for the longest time. I must agree with his lordship, Engineer Lars, Piet interjected in a soft voice, having carefully maintained his silence up until now. A quick glance had Veers smiling as he saw the usual stoicism on his friend's face give way to an expression that softened around the edges. There are several powerful players in the galaxy determined to gain possession over you, one way or another. With the stake they've placed on your capture or death, only an equal show of force would deter them at all or stand a chance at repelling them should any one faction choose to take their chances. Lars still wasn't looking at any of them, eyes fixed on the troopers, but Veers didn't miss how the lad's right hand twitched and clenched into a fist before releasing at Piet's words. With a deep breath, the uncrowned prince nodded reluctantly and turned towards them, eyes unhappy but resigned. I still don't like it. He murmured in a low voice with a glance back towards the troopers. Or necessarily believe it's the only way to ensure security, but I understand, sir. Thank whatever was listening for that. He didn't want to know the havoc that would be wrought if Lars decided to put his foot down. Still, with the look the lad had... If it helps with whatever is bothering you, lad, he said before he even realized he'd made the decision... The 68th and 254th will be setting up a perimeter around the edges of the academy. Only your usual guards will actually be following you around at a distance. Which seemed to be the kind of thing that would usually help soothe a teenager's ruffled feathers, but evidently Lars was set on being contrary as the lad managed only half a smile at the reassurance. Thank you, sir. He dipped his head in a gesture of gratitude. I appreciate it. Well, that was something at the very least. Do not concern yourself with it for now in any case, Lord Vader rumbled, drawing Lars's attention away from the troopers and his mood out from under the dark, cloudy cover it had been sitting under. For now, the shipyards await us, and you have your role to play in ensuring the maintenance of the Lady is correctly initiated. The matters of tomorrow can wait for tomorrow. This is a matter of today. Lars huffed out a small laugh. I guess you're right. He admitted as the last of the melancholy disappeared. Speaking of which, he glanced towards the titanic docking ring that still loomed over the entire docking area, unopened and firmly sealed. How much longer until we could make a start on that? Last communication said that the portal was already extending towards the ring, so it shouldn't be too much longer, right? Lord Vader rumbled out a strange clattering of static that had Lars grinning while Veers exchanged a glance with Piet to see if he had any better idea of what it meant. Unfortunately, he did not. Patience, Luke, the Lord chided. The docking portal needs to bridge a gap nearly a kilometer wide with precision. It requires time. Is there no way of knowing how far along they are? Lars wheedled as he raised an eyebrow at the Dark Lord. Mouth quirked up at one corner in a lopsided smile as he asked a question that seemed to carry more in its meaning than Veers could catch. Considering the young lord's almost mischievous demeanor, he would have ventured a guess and said that something odd was being referenced here, but when Lord Vader merely exhaled a long, ringing blare of static, 
His eyebrows rose into his hairline with the next sentence from his commander. I sense them nearby, Lord Vader admitted, much to the beaming satisfaction of Lars. It should not be long now before they complete docking and begin the pressurizing of the portal chamber. Which was nice to know, really, and he would most likely be focused on that little factoid if it weren't for the fact that Lars had just casually prompted Lord Vader to use the Force or consult it or whatever the hell his commander did in order to know more than was feasibly possible. Which was fine, obviously. It was Lars. Of course he could prompt his lordship to use what as far as he could gather were sacred and esoteric powers that he could never even hope to understand. Of course, no questions about it. But he thought he might be forgiven for his temporary lapse in composure anyway, when confronted with the young son essentially asking the Dark Lord to act like a glorified radar to sate his inquisitiveness and dawning impatience. Okay, Lars continued, still oddly playful and grinning wide. But how much longer? And oh, oh, he recognized that particular tactic from when Zev wanted to be contrary. And apparently it sparked some kind of recognition in Lord Vader as well, as he crossed his arms over his chest, the mask tilting downwards in a display that even Veers had no problem reading as entirely unimpressed. A short phrase in that odd language rolled out of the vocoder, even flatter than usual, and the mask tilted back slightly when Lars promptly shot something back in that same language, grinning wide. Lord Vader's shoulders and chest rose up, and a long burst of static was produced by the vocoder, sending Veers spiraling with an insight that tilted the world about two degrees sideways as he realized that Lord Vader was sighing, and apparently out of some form of annoyance. Another short exchange of the odd language that Veers probably wouldn't have been able to process at the moment even if he did understand it, Lars grinning wide as ever with mischief sparking in his eyes, and Lord Vader sighed again, actually sighed, tilted his mask downwards, and was silent for a moment, save for the rhythmic cycling of his respirator. Lars remained silent this time, too, but before Veers could even begin to speculate what the fresh hell was going on, Lord Vader tilted his mask back up again and glanced towards the docking ring. As close as I can estimate, it should take only another couple of minutes before they will have reached the ring. No more than five at the speed they are currently sustaining. The mask turned towards Luke, and Veers swore that the lenses were especially blank and flat when they did so. Satisfied, little one. Immensely, Lars agreed, the very picture of the Tuca that got into the cream. Thank you for looking. Right. File the last five minutes under interactions that he would never think about again unless able to drink more than half a glass of whiskey. He would especially not be thinking about the fact that said interaction was distinctly parental in nature, for lack of a better term that probably existed, probably. He wasn't thinking about it in either case, so it didn't matter if it did anyway. Quickly glancing aside to Piet and Alter, he saw that while Piet's expression had gone as carefully blank as only he could manage, Alter was blatantly and openly staring in shock at the two, which was more than understandable if he was honest. He didn't think Alter had had much interaction with the two lords while they were acting as not thinking about it to each other, and seeing this was, while well, it was some form of realization and perhaps a wake-up call in what the exact nature of the relationship between both lords was, still it was probably best not to be caught staring. Carefully nudging her elbow behind Piet's back, hopefully without either lord noticing, but he didn't place much faith in that hope, 
Veers was relieved to find that when Alter snapped out of her shock, it was with barely more than a twitch of her eyes and barely perceptible nod of gratitude directed towards him. The lords in question, however, seemed to have registered none of the shock the three of them had gone through, and were once more quietly conversing in their own language in short, curt sentences on Lord Vader's part, and laughter-laden ones on Lars's. Three sentences later, and Lord Vader let out a gust of static, gesturing for Lars to step back into his now customary position at his lordship's side, which he did with a smile and a roll of his eyes that had Veers twitching in his suit. Right. Rolling her eyes at Lord Vader was apparently permissible if one was named Luke Lars. He would need to keep that in mind. Any further thoughts he might have very studiously tried not to have were thankfully swept away with an ear-splitting ring of an alarm and a slight tremor that ran through the Durasteel deck underneath their feet. As the audio processors in his helm once again frantically worked to lower the volume of the alarm to more tolerable levels, he faintly thought that Lord Vader had apparently been right on the dot with his prediction of how long it would take for the docking portal to finish its trip to the Lady. The great seals surrounding the docking ring released with a hiss of pneumatics, the great interlocking bands that made up the docking ring pressing out of their locked state and slowly starting to spin. The engineers in the area kicked back into high gear, and Lars, spurred on whether by impulse or solidarity, had to be restrained from running headlong into the fray alongside his core by a firm hand on the shoulder from Lord Vader. Orange flashing light spilled into the room, and the immense machinery continued its spinning, whirling, pumping, and clanking, seals releasing and fastening at various intervals while alarms blared and blared. The ceiling bands spun around once, twice, and then locked into place with a reverberating clang that shook through the air in Veers' chest. The pumps next to the ring hissed with escaping air as the bands slowly began to sink back into place, sealing the portal and ring together with a hermetic closure. When the machinery of the seals finally fell still, a sound like wind roared to life, and Veers knew the pressurization of the air between the two seals had begun. The vacuum of space was not to be trifled with. Proper pressurization was the difference between safe passage and a nasty death, but it was also their cue to get everything in order, and Lord Vader seems to agree with that as he carefully began to steer Lars back towards the center of the docking area, where the two companies were still creating a pathway that led towards the docking ring. Veers followed suit, but kept a step or three behind, with Piet and Alter wisely choosing to do the same. They were flag officers, true, but... The two lords were something else entirely. It would be best to make that impression the first one on Quat. Everything else after that could follow, but the shadow hierarchy amongst the lady was best established right off the bat. It prevented regrettable incidents. Under the hissing of the pressurization, they, alongside every other soul present in the docking area, took up their position, knowing that at the other side of the portal, the officials from the shipyard were undoubtedly doing the same. The ring loomed large as they all made their final approach. Piet and Alter rallied their officers into form, while Veers gestured for his captains to join him. With careful organization and deliberation, they fell into a train that fanned out from behind the two lords, the two companies closing the corridor they'd left between them behind the officers as they proceeded, melting into one visual hole. Everyone stepped into position. Veers and Piet stepped behind and adjacent to Lord Vader and Lars, respectively, their own officers falling into place beside them in turn in a flattened spear formation. Then it was simply the waiting game. The seals hissed with escaping air and the machinery roared as air was simultaneously fed into and sucked out of the portal. It dragged on for what felt like it may have been hours, 
But what his haunt told him was actually only minutes until finally the machinery shut off with one last resounding clang, leaving the docking area in a few seconds of uncanny silence before the moment they'd all been waiting for arrived. With a series of short, resounding bangs and hisses as the internal clamps and seals of the docking ring released, the center of the massive ring shifted, shook, and with a groan like a rock slide it began to slowly, sluggishly roll aside with what seemed to be a momentous effort on the part of the systems surrounding it. At a pace that could generously be described as crawling, the great seal of the docking area finally rolled back into the ladies' hull, leaving behind a portal that was large enough to easily fly a freighter through. And there, on the other side of the gap left between the ship and shipyard after the seal rolled out of the way, was the welcoming party of the Quat Drive Yard. Decked out in all the latest business formal finery was the Quat couple, front and center amongst the many people awaiting them. Mortis and Vespia Quata, Count and Countess, and the near-undisputed owners of the Quat Drive Yards, and functionally the entire planet, as they held the linchpin of the planetary economy in an iron fist. From his limited interactions with the two, Veers could gather that they were a proud couple, perfectly matched in both their ruthlessness and cunning when it came to business affairs, a cunning that had led the both of them evidently to deciding that it was a good business practice to personally welcome back their single largest repeating client. With the seal rolling ever further back into its socket in the ladies' hall and the opening more than large enough for each party to clearly see one another standing there on the other side, Lord Vader and Lars had evidently decided that this was the prime opportunity to make their approach. On an unknown signal, they both stepped forward as one, and Veers quickly matched his pace to theirs, careful to keep in formation just behind them. Right now, appearances were everything, and he had no interest in being the one to muck it up. Whatever Lord Vader and Lars did now to break greeting protocol would be strategic, or at least deemed as such, but he was under no illusions that his own etiquette blunders would be so graciously dismissed. With carefully measured steps that nonetheless had to look confident and effortless, they approached the gap between shore and ship, where the lady's boarding plank was already extending outwards to create a bridge between the two. For a moment, both parties merely stood there, with a gap several meters across between them, and observed each other. Veers noted that amongst the welcoming party, there were the usual faces of the primary workers and owners of the shipyard, the foremen and chiefs of administration and heads of security and whatnot. All there, right alongside the Quanas, to welcome in the people responsible for their annual biggest order of business. Dressed to the nines in the steel grays and dark blues of their family crest, and with both their hair and makeup styled to perfection, the couple was clearly ready to ensure that this year would be another success that would keep them and the credits coming back. He wondered what they were seeing in their gathered ashore party in turn. With his visor allowing him the leniency of looking at the welcoming party all he wished without being accused of staring, he took quick note that most of the people there were either making a deliberate effort to focus on Lord Vader and Lord Vader only, or were doing a rather poor job of hiding the fact that their gazes were inevitably drawn to the uncrowned prince standing at his lordship's side. Just as they'd predicted then, they would likely have to deliver some discreet advice on how to handle interactions with the young son at some point later today, before any unfortunate incidents occurred. With the boarding plank fully extended, it was time, and keeping a close eye on Lord Vader's movements allowed Veers to catch the step forward from the corner of his eye, matching it as best as he could to keep the formation. Approaching the welcoming party, Veers registered again just how tall the suitor rendered him, as he found himself looking down on several people he had been standing approximately eye-to-eye -eye with in previous years. 
which, granted, wasn't a new development as it happened every time he'd had to try out the armor, but it was still enough to throw a man for a loop. Unfortunately, while he was having his crisis, they'd reached the quarters and their people, and the formalities had kicked off. With a deep bow towards Lord Vader, the couple made the opening move of this interaction. Lord Vader, Lady Quata greeted with a polite smile that matched her tone, the silver diadem and the dark, curling hair glinting as she rose to her full height once more. In the name of our planet, welcome back. My husband and I trust that you found your way here well. Lady Quara. His lordship greeted back with a graceful dip of his head, Lars carefully copying the movement beside him. We found our way well enough, but I suggest we skip further pleasantries and proceed right to the matters at hand. Veers didn't miss how Lady Quara's eyes couldn't resist flitting over to Lars for a split second at that phrase, though at the very least she was more subtle about it than her husband, who was keeping half a worried eye on the young son at all times. Whatever their thoughts on the matter, though, neither showed much in their expression, and when Lady Quara spoke again, it was with the presentation of a perfect hostess. Of course, my lord. Then may I suggest we converse as we walk? Most certainly, Lord Vader agreed with a permissive gesture, and with no further words spoken, the two parties melted into one, the troopers just behind them taking up marching positions, flanking them on all sides, something that seemed to make the Quara's party more than a little nervous as they began walking. Pardon my asking, my lord, Lord Quarter spoke carefully. But will your security retinue be joining us throughout your stay on Quad? For the sake of necessary accommodations, the man finished carefully. Veers called bullshit on that reason, but he had to admit he was impressed by how delicately he'd managed to word what the fuck is up with this. Especially considering that Lord Vader was well known to regularly not take any kind of security retinue with him, for the quarters, he had to imagine that this looked far more interesting than it was actually meant. The troopers will be joining us for much of our stay, Lord Vader rumbled, and Veers saw how the quarters and their people definitely began to pick up on the plurals being used in that sentence, with more and more eyes starting to drift towards Lars. After recent events, their presence has become an unfortunate necessity in order to ensure Luke's safety. To her credit, Lady Quanta managed to feign appropriate surprise at Lord Vader's explanation. Look, my lord, she asked, and Veers rolled his eyes in the privacy of his helmet. If there ever was a transparent attempt at fishing for information. That would be me, my lady, Lars cheerfully piped up, flashing a beaming smile as he nodded towards her. Head Engineer Luke Lars, it's a pleasure to meet you. And just like that, Veers subtly set a timer on his HUD. With the introduction done, he wondered if and when Lars would succeed in charming the Quadras, just like he had the Lady. With the power of Lord Vader on his side and his own oddly magnetic charms, he had no doubt the lad would give it everything he had in order to win over half of Quat before they were through. Lady Quadra certainly seemed to be taken aback for a second by Lars's signature sunny disposition, but soon enough managed a slight smile of her own towards the Engineer. It's a pleasure to meet you too, Head Engineer Lars. Just Engineer Lars, Milady, Luke gently corrected, already looking uncomfortable from the idea of having his title repeated dozens of times a day over the next few weeks, considering the struggle it had been to get the lad to accept being called Sir by his subordinates in the first few weeks. Veers silently counted it as a victory. Or simply Engineer, Lars continued, but really there's no need for much formality with me. If the correction surprised either of the quarters, they were smart enough not to let it show, 
but a couple of others in their entourage didn't make the same effort, and were now openly staring at the engineer. Engineer Lars, then, Lady Quara agreed graciously, but he didn't miss how she quickly glanced to Lord Vader, who wasn't fooling anyone by looking like he wasn't paying attention to the conversation. I must say, I have never seen an engineer escorted by a security retinue of this caliber before. Usually those well-versed in the art of creating and constructing machinery hold a higher rank and belong to some of the grand initiatives to garner such an escort. Veers grimaced behind his visor as he remembered Lars's experience with various initiatives, namely that he'd turned them all down to the last. Trust me, milady, it isn't for lack of offers and attempts at recruitment, Lars replied tightly, apparently remembering the exact same thing Veers was. But I am where I wish to be, and not even the Emperor or a Grand Moth could change that fact. You sound rather certain of that assertion, Antonia Lars, Lord Quarter tried carefully. And Veers was glad that his helmet hid his broad and supremely satisfied grin as he surreptitiously counted the number of people poorly disguising the fact that they were all listening in on the conversation with rapt attention. Oh, this was going to be good. Of course, Lars replied lightly. They did try, after all, but I have as much interest in working with the Tarkin Initiative as I have in returning to Tatooine and becoming a moisture farmer. They would have required me to leave my post aboard the Lady, and there was little chance of that happening. The lad grinned brightly at those last words, and it might have been just a trick of the light, but Veers swore that Lord Vader was standing just a bit taller and straighter towards the end of that sentence. What definitely wasn't a trick of the light was the soft squeeze to Lars's shoulder, or how the lad's smile softened as he brought up his gloved right hand to briefly touch to Lord Vader's. Which was an oddly sweet sight, Veers could admit to that, and thankfully one that was commonplace enough that he'd grown desensitized to its oddness, and saw only the rare moment of gentleness from his commander. The same could not be said for all the poor souls of the Quat Driveyards, who were looking at the interaction with eyes that weren't quite wide enough to be considered impolite, but that might as well be round as saucers by the standards of the high elite. You turned down an offer from the Emperor and Grand Moff Tarkin, Lady Quarter managed to get out with enough poise not to be considered rude, but even someone as disinterested in politics as Veers could see that she was clearly reeling from the information she'd just received. Lars, the menace, merely shrugged her shoulder and smiled lightly as he nodded. It wasn't an offer I was interested in, milady. I had already found the job I wanted, and it was offering opportunities and challenges that I wouldn't miss for anything. May I ask, what opportunities, specifically? Lord Quana asked faintly, and oh, bad move apparently, as Lord Vader began to shift his shoulders and slowly angle his mask over to face the Count. Thankfully, Lars was at the top of his game and diverted the situation before anyone else besides Veers even seemed to catch on to the shift in Lord Vader's demeanor. Chuckling, the young son proceeded to do what he did best. Well, for one thing, he began, the opportunity to work with Vader here, he said, beaming as he affectionately bumped into Lord Vader's side a move that had caused short circuits in Veers' brain only a few weeks ago, but that was almost normal by now. That, and the quietly permissive way in which Lord Vader simply let it happen, or even encouraged it. Again, the poor Quadras and their entourage seemed to be far less prepared, and looked to be more than a little ashen in their complexions. Not that Lars seemed to notice, or if he did, he seemed to think that the solution was simply to double down on his behavior and cheerfully continue on answering the Count's question, that Veers didn't doubt the man regretted asking by now. For another, it's never been a dull moment so far, and getting the chance to interact with all the people on board has honestly been a privilege, 
Glass continued, and force if the young son didn't sound entirely genuine about it, too. Though he supposed that if someone could become as oddly fond of and close to Lord Vader as Lars was, it should be no surprise that he would find being able to interact with the various types of crazy that called the lady their home a pleasure, too. Then there's been the chance for me to revamp and redesign all kinds of things over the last few months, and really, how could I pass up on that? The uncrowned prince grinned toward the quarters and their people, and if he hadn't been there, Veers wouldn't have believed it if someone later had said you were able to pinpoint the exact moment where the quarters understood just what kind of person they were dealing with here. Ashen was a generous description for their complexion at the moment, and Veers wondered if the shock would be enough to do them in. The realization that the lad presenting himself as merely a simple engineer was in fact the kind of person who could and would remain on the lady when offered a position that was superior on paper in every way simply because he liked working with Lord Vader was a harrowing one, to say the least. And with the young lord's tendency towards open displays of affection directed to the gleaming mountain of plats a steel-encased nightmare and horror that were not only tolerated, but reciprocated, there could be no doubt about the fact that it was genuine. Lars liked Lord Vader, and Lord Vader liked Lars. It took a very specific kind of person for both those phrases to ring true, and to not immediately conjure up scenarios concerning Lars's demeanor that would give a hardened war veteran night terrors. Not that he trotted that the Quatters had made that last connection as well, per se. It was one thing to realize that Lars had some kind of bond with Lord Vader. It was another to realize that that bond was the closest thing there was to a guarantee of security for everyone aboard the Lady. And then, of course, Lars continued, drawing Veers' attention back towards the young son, there are the opportunities to visit and see places that I never thought I would. He smiled as he looked around the portal they were walking through, a monstrously large hallway that had large panes of transparent steel inserted in the dirt-steel walls, giving a clear view of both the star of the system not too far away and a magnificent view of the planet below. Like here. As a part of the Target Initiative, I doubt I would have ever been able to see and experience quad drive yards in all their glory, but as the head engineer aboard the Lady, well, he chuckled lightly and jerked around, here I am. And I would say that alone made it worth it, no? Force damn it all, that was smoothly delivered. And he doubted Lars was even aware of what he'd done. Sure enough, a quick glance over to the two quarters told Veers all he needed to know and how their expressions softened and tension leaked out of the air. It was far from gone, Veers noted, and he didn't doubt for a moment that the quarters would actually be fool enough to lower their guard, but that was the thing. They didn't need to lower their guard in order for Lars to work his miracles. With a huff of incredulous laughter and a shake of his head that he was barely able to stop from happening, Veers ordered the timer to stop. Not even half an hour in, not even fifteen minutes in, and the young lord was already charming his way through the first people of Quad he'd met. It seemed that a little more sincere flattery really could get you almost anywhere. I suppose I can agree with that, Lord Quad said with a small smile at the dip of his head, and Veers marveled at how quick Lars was able to slip past the usual guardedness of seemingly any individual with what seemed to be complete ease. His youth had to be a part of it, it just had to be. No one would be stupid enough to act in this manner with a full-grown adult. Know that we are most pleased to welcome you here in any case, Engineer Lars. Luke, for his part, grinned and dipped his head into a shallow bow. Thank you, my lord. It's an honor to be so, the lad replied easily. And just like that, Veers could see the last of any potentially ruffled feathers being smoothed down. With a scant fifteen minutes of conversation, Lars had broken the ice left in the wake of his admittedly intimidating introduction by Lord Vader's side, 
and had changed himself from a frightening unknown in an established equation to a friendly face and a potential ally if the Quadras played their cards right. And Veers could already see the gears turning in the heads of everyone around as they contemplated how best to court the favor of the young, uncrowned prince standing at the right hand of Lord Vader. They weren't even being particularly subtle about it, or perhaps they simply weren't considering that he could be watching from behind his visor as they contemplated what strategy would work. Fifteen minutes, and Lars had both reformed his image to suit a friendlier narrative and shift the burden of diplomacy over to the Quaris, setting himself up as someone to seek allyship from instead of someone who was seeking it, slowly drawing both the Count and Countess right to where he wanted them. It was as impressive as it was eerie to see it happen from an outside perspective, and he couldn't decide if the lad was being deliberate about what he was doing or if it was merely his nature. And frankly, he didn't know which he wanted it to be. Either rendered the same result, and while said result was certainly extraordinary, it still brought a shiver of discomfort to remember that the same had happened to him and the rest of the lady not so long ago, and they hadn't even realized it. Not that he would change a single thing even if he could. But even that conviction carried a hint of unease with it that he couldn't quite put his finger on, something that felt like dancing to a tune that none of them could hear, but that they matched beat for beat anyway. One thing was certain, though, with Lars established as the only direct in to Lord Vader that wasn't liable to end in death as a matter of course, Veers didn't doubt that the young lord would be the star of the political and diplomatic circuit of Quat for the coming month, and the lad was only trained as an engineer. Remembering that little tidbit didn't quite manage to stop him dead in his tracks, but it certainly lent itself to the unpleasant sensation of feeling his stomach drop by about the length of Lady Quana's impressively flowing cape. He sighed quietly inside his helmet, stifling the sound as much as he could so that it wouldn't be picked up by the vocoder. Dear Force, this was going to be one hell of a month. Entirely oblivious to his series of one uncomfortable realization after another, the Quaras and Lars seemed to be holding a rather pleasant conversation concerning the general small talk one would expect between someone who was effectively the unofficial imperial prince conversing with the matriarch and patriarch of a business dynasty that effectively governed a planet. Small talk about the quality of starship production, or modification, or the socio-political and economic climate of the shipyards and the planet below. Just the usual stuff. Resigning himself to the fact that apparently the heft of diplomatic interactions would be left in the hands of a teenager who didn't even seem to be doing a half-bad job of it, Veers began to subtly allow himself to drift in the walking formation they were only still loosely adhering to. Piet was still walking in roughly the same position he'd held the entire time, and keeping an impressively blank face while doing so, but even he couldn't hide how occasionally his eyes drifted to their corners as he kept an eye on the developing situation. Carefully touching a hand to his elbow, Veers drew Piet's attention and subtly gestured for him to fall back another step or two from their position behind the lords, their drift covered by the other members of both parties quickly filling the gaps to get closer to the main event. So are you planning to join in on that conversation or what? He whispered lowly to his friend while he kept an eye on his surroundings, gesturing over to where the Quadras and Lars were cheerfully discussing the potential of several modifications to the lady. Something he would have thought the good admiral would have more of a vocal opinion on. Piet scoffed quietly. Not a chance, he whispered back. I'll make myself heard later on in further meetings if necessary. But intruding on Engineer Lars's debut is something you couldn't pay me to do. Fair point, he agreed, eyeing the way in which both parties nearly seemed to orbit around the two lords. Pondering the intricacies of politics was never his strong suit, even if he wasn't entirely hopeless in it but even he could see how this entire situation had the potential to blow up in so many ways. 
It's either going to go great, or blow up into a million pieces. He predicted quietly. Don't be unimaginative, Max. Pierre whispered back from the corner of his mouth. It could be both. The image that phrase produced was both as vivid as it was chilling, and he silently inclined his head in acquiescence, ending the conversation there before it could escalate and speed them all along the path of everything going to pieces. Instead, he began scanning the hallways as his men still marched in formation around the mall, ever vigilant and with a squad or two peeling off from the main group every now and then to station themselves by bulkheads along the portal. Letting his eyes wander a bit, he noted that the beauty of the shipyards never really diminished, not even through a visor. Industrial they may be, but there was an elegance and class to the design of the architecture that showed that the founders of the massive shipyard hadn't been willing to completely sacrifice aesthetics for sheer utility. Case in point, the massive windows in the side of the portal that allowed the natural light of the nearby star to shine in, casting everything in a light that seemed to fuzz the edges of everyone a bit and left long shadows gliding along the floor. It was an old sort of beauty, but one that he still appreciated even after visit after visit to Quad over the years. Spires and reliefs, sculpture and painting, yes. It was definitely clear to see what a sizable chunk of the shipyard's prosperity had been sunk into, subtle though the style was in the portal to the lady. And honestly, as far as Veers was concerned, it was credits well spent. Perhaps it wasn't necessary in the strictest sense, but force, where would they be if all they ever did in life was only what was necessary? Certainly not walking through the warm light of a distant star, with two rulers from the planet below conversing with a boy that had come from a backwater at barely eighteen years old, all three of those conversationalists effectively royalty in their own right. He tilted his head back towards the proceedings a little further up front as Lars's laughter rung out like a bell. No, none taken, Lars sputtered out between giggles. I'm well aware that some of my requests are a bit outside the norms of what's usual for a ship. The laughter abated, and Lars beamed wide. But we'll have to discuss that later. For now, I'm simply glad to hear that they may be unusual, but not impossible. Oh? It seemed he'd missed some of the more interesting gossip in his time taking in the views. Drifting back into his spot while subtly elbowing a few people out of the way who'd taken it up with as much gentleness as he could manage while in a suit of power armor, no one doubled over nor hissed in pain, so he assumed he'd done a pretty good job of it by the time he was back in place to catch the tail end of the gossip. Of course, Lady Quanta demurred, a graceful dip of her head showing that she was definitely already catching on to how to best interact with the uncrowned prince if she was going to get what she wanted. But for now I believe we are nearly there. She turned her head forward, and Veers could definitely feel the building excitement in the air as they approached the end of the portal. The doors leading towards the main hub were still closed as per custom, waiting for the owners of the shipyards to formally welcome the crew of the Lady into Quat Drive Yards. Decorated with reliefs that depicted scenes from the construction of the Lady, as well as several scenes that Veers recognized as coming from myths local to Quat, just like they'd been depicted in the book Guyana had given him to him. Sharp in the edges and still shining, it was clear that the brass-covered doors were only a few years old at most, and largely unused in that time. No wonder, since a ship like the Lady didn't exactly come in the dozens, and the original ports of the Star Destroyers just wouldn't have been enough for a ship her size. Ceremonial guards were stationed in front of the door, dressed in the silver and blues of the Quados, and as they approached the guards, let their pikes fall from their idle positions into a clear display of threat. Something that Veers thought would have been an incredibly poor idea to do to the two lords if it weren't for the fact that it was all largely ceremonial. At Lord Vader's silent signal, most of them came to a halt only a little ways away from the door, 
enough that it would likely make for an impressive sight once they opened up, the ears noted with a quick glance towards Lars, all but the two quarters, who stepped forwards to the guards as one, elegant and poised. Guards of the Haven, let it be known, they spoke in unison, that these people have come from far and are welcome within this haven as our guests. In response, the guards returned their pikes to their upright position and slammed the butts against the floor twice to create a cacophonous sound that echoed through the halls. Let us welcome them with open arms and open gates, for as long as they obey the laws of the land, we shall not make strangers of them. We will obey the will of the Lady and Lord Quara, the captain of the guard called back. Visitors of the Executor, be welcome in these halls and haven. The last exclamation rung out throughout the portal, marking a ceremony concluded, and sure enough, with a grinding sound, the doors to the main hub of the shipyards unlocked and began to slide aside. At Lord Vader's signal, they began to walk forwards again, towards the two quarters and the doors that were slowly parting to reveal the world beyond. Over the grinding of the doors and the swelling of the din of sound beyond them, Veers could hear a soft gasp coming from just in front of him, and he smiled as he saw Lars take in the glimpse of Quant Drive Yards for the first time in the lad's life. Sunlight streamed in through the transparent roof of the ring, which soared above their heads at an altitude high enough that a small mountain wouldn't even scrape the ceiling. The ring was even wider than it was tall, and while it stretched out on either side of them to the point where the eye could no longer see, it certainly wasn't lacking in length straight out in front of them either with several gross of clicks of space stretching out in front of them at the bare minimum. Veers could admit, while from an outside perspective and a little distance, the ring looked dangerously spindly and slim, once you got to ground level you could truly appreciate the tremendous effort it must have taken those ancient builders to set it up all those centuries ago. And what a payoff it was. Spires in gleaming metallics and polished stone stretched towards the transparent ceiling, carved with the geometric and strangely twisting pattern so typical to Quant curving elegantly up the sides. Greenery decorated the balconies of the spires and the promenades leading through the massive shipyard, large enough to accommodate the droves of thousands of people that were walking and running to wherever they needed to be, transports the size of freighters, and which were most likely repurposed ones anyway, flew overhead, loaded with ship parts that Veers wouldn't be able to tell you the names of if he tried in sky lanes that hummed with activity. Clattering water rose up out of the din of sound, and Veers chuckled at the stifled squeak that emanated from Lars's general direction as he assumed the lad spotted the six-tiered fountain situated in the intersection of the various promenades. Carved out of a beautiful pink and white marble, the Fountain of Dreams really would be something that a kid from the desert would love, with its varied depictions of the myth of Quat's founding, and the water giving the marble a shimmering sheen. Flowers and trees bloomed in artful displays dotted everywhere. Statues and reliefs nestled within a harmony of art and nature that he didn't doubt the young, uncrowned prince would adore. And colorful though the plants were, they had nothing on the people. Countless species dressed in styles and uniforms from all over the galaxy intermingled as they flocked from one place to the next, showcasing why one of the many names of the planet was the Prism of the Galaxy. Merchants and engineers, artists and craftsmen, all gathered here to trade, to swap information, to travel further, and to buy any number of the products from the drive yards. Here culture met and melted, here ideas were born and exchanged, and it had been that way for generations. He just hoped this bastion of culture and prosperity was ready for what the arrival of one innocuous desert kid would do to it. 
A soft laugh from the side drew everyone's gaze over, and meeting their gaze were Lord and Lady Quana, both smiling the first open, genuine smile either had shown during this meeting so far. Delighted the awe over their shipyards clear to see. They briefly glanced to one another before dipping into a graceful bow. Our honored guests, they spoke, straightening back up, still smiling wide. Welcome to Quat. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jackdaw Kudai, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.